first contact. We never know what we will face when we open the door on a new world. Thousands of solar systems are out there. The mission of the Enterprise is to seek out and contact alien life. We desperately want to know others and to be known. This is an opportunity to establish a destiny of your own. We get to reach for the stars. We get to reach for each other. Open a channel. Open a channel. Open a channel. Open a channel. Open a channel to all decks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek. And today we're going to talk all about Star Trek First Contact Day, which is the 25th year celebration of Star Trek First Contact. Paramount Plus invites fans from around the world to a virtual celebration of First Contact Day, as depicted in the film Star Trek First Contact, April 5th, 2063, is the day that humans first make contact with Vulcans, marking a pivotal moment of exploration and acceptance in Star Trek history. And on this podcast tonight to talk about First Contact Day with me is none other than the Trek story himself, Jonathan Shorts. How are you doing, man? Man, I am doing good, doing great. I uh happy late uh First Contact Day to you, sir. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you, sir. Same to you. Thank you. Thank you. And I said 25 years, but uh, as I read the presser here, it's for the actual day, which was April 5th, 2063. Absolutely. The day that the Vulcans made contact with Zephyrin Cochran in Bozeman, Montana. Yeah, yeah. And we have reviewed that movie, so I'll drop the link to the movie. So, First off, I'll just ask you real quick. What have you been up to, man? You doing okay? Uh, man, doing good. A, a lot of work. A lot of work. I've, um, I don't know. The current state of affairs has led to people not wanting to work, which means I have to work more. So mm. that's what I do. I work and I watch Star Trek. Got this stimmy, yo. Got this stimmy. Right. No working. <laughs> I wish I could live off of $1,400. <laughs> <laughs> not many can, sir. Not many can. How about yourself? What you been up to? How you doing? Man, I'm doing great, man. I have no complaints. Doing good. And, you know, kind of ready to talk about this, you know, first contact day, which quite frankly popped up out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> this is the second of, I guess, Paramount Plus slash Star Trek's day long events. They did it last year with Star Trek Day which was in September, uh, September the 8th, if I'm not, if I'm remembering correctly. And now we have first contact day. I will say for me, just talking about the overall event and how it was portrayed, I think I enjoyed Star Trek day a little bit better than first contact day. And really it has nothing to do with the announcements, but for Star Trek day, they actually streamed it on YouTube as well. And oh, wow. Yeah, and part of the fun for me with that was actually being in a chat room all day while I worked and seeing other people's comments and being able to chime in as well. Um, so I nice. guess they didn't want to deal with any of that. So <laughs> they just put it on StarTrek.com <laughs> this time. So, yeah, that's if I had one gripe about the whole day, it would probably be that. Well, you know, uh, admittedly, I missed Star Trek Day. No. Uh, yes, I was... Um, again, I was at work 
all freaking day. And I just, I did not get a chance to participate. Uh, and I know we briefly spoke about it on one of our episodes, which I think I was kind of quiet because I really didn't participate in the Star Trek day. That being said, uh, I really liked this Star Trek day. Number one, and I like that they kind of centered it all into Star Trek.com because you know what? Again, I worked on that day, but when I got home, I just went to Star Trek.com. And you go to the first contact uh, landing page. And just from there, you just scroll down and it was in chronological order. And you could just watch the videos, the panels, read the announcements. So it kind of helped me get through it all. But it was a lot of information. It was a lot of information and a lot of media. Yeah, definitely was some good content uh, throughout the panels. You know, like they did with the, the original Star Trek Day, you could actually watch episodes all day, which I did catch a few or parts of few because I was working too, although I was at home, but I did catch a part of few episodes that I either don't remember seeing or never seen before. A very interesting t- uh, animated series episode, which I cannot remember the name, but it was very interesting. Uh, <laughs> we might have to talk about that episode one day, but yeah, overall I enjoyed it. And as far as the panels and panelists they had for the day, uh, well, let me just cover the panels overall. There was uh, the first contact 25th anniversary panel. There was the creating first contacts panel. There was the women in motion panel, the second contact panel, second contact. I'm sure you guys know what that is. And the Star Trek prodigy panel. Take it away. What do you, what do you want to start us off at John? Uh, well, first, so there's, there's a few of these that I did not get to go through the panels that I did, did not get to watch, which I'm glad you're on with me here. So we, maybe it was some things you saw that I didn't. But the thing I think we should lead off with, and I actually just shared this with my wife, and I thought it was pretty cool. The Welcome to Bozeman video. Did you hmm. watch it? Did I not see this? Oh, my goodness. Welcome to Bozeman. <laughs> what are you talking? What is what? What is this thing so, you mentioned? So, you know, you know how on TV you get these commercials like visit. Alabama, that we have the Robert Trent Jones golf trails and beautiful fishing. And, you know, it's kind of a showcase of the state to encourage people to visit there. Right. So uh, and I'm not I'm pretty sure Paramount had created it. But so it starts with the extraterrestrial council has created a welcome to Bozeman video in preparation for a first contact. So it's pretty much describing Bozeman as the perfect place for our first extraterrestrial visit to occur and why it would be a perfect place for any extraterrestrials to visit first. It's pretty cool, man. Like it, it is. I mean, production value is amazing, but the comedy of it, like, so there, you know, it comes in and saying, you know, hey, come to Bozeman. I'm not exact words, uh, but. For instance, it says we have uh, perfect hiking. And then like subtext, there's a guy speaking really fast as explaining definition of hiking. And it says purposely leaving civilization on foot. <laughs> and then it goes to the next one and it's a picture of somebody kayaking. And it said we have great kayaking. And then the subtext says purposely leaving civilization in a boat. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of explaining it how it extra because it uh, uh 
alien species wouldn't really understand these things the way we understand them. So it's breaking it down to them the way they would understand. It's cool. I think if you want to experience First Contact Day and go back and watch it, I think that's where you should start. Wow. Well, already something on my list to go back and watch because I totally missed this. Again, I was working and watching at the same time. But <laughs> welcome to Bozeman video. Cool. That that That's amazing. That That's a great way to kick off uh, the panels. And I will say while we're talking about kind of ads and interstitials or whatever, I do really love this package they put together to kind of show off it being first contact day where they're going through each of the series and showing different scenes and just the music they put behind it and some of the words that were said, just a beautiful package to get us amped up for what we might see today. So I'm assuming you did the first contact day panel. You watched that. I did not. So kind of give me the brief synopsis of what happened there. Well, yeah, before we get into that, just first real quick, uh, uh, again, we got that, we got an intro video of, of Wheaton and a steward where he introduces us to this stinger, this teaser for the upcoming season of Star Trek Picard. Now, I don't know if that's going to come out this year. I don't think they gave a date. They just really started filming, to be honest. I think they said 22. 22. OK, yeah, that yeah. that that makes a lot of sense. But counting the stinger, it was pretty much just a video showing off Picard's chateau office, which we know is a holodeck office too, but but it shows like the stargazer and it shows a, 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 a few books and it shows just some interesting stuff, a painting of the Enterprise, just a few things to get you amped up for the season. And after that, we get none other than John Delancey coming on and confirmation that Q, and this is what really has me interested, John, it kind of got me amped up and I'm kind of fascinated about where they might be going with this. But of course, Q coming into the next season and they kept mentioning time, time, yeah. time. And they show and I don't really know the book Paradise Lost intimately, but that Stinger had like they, they zoomed across the book Paradise Lost and Stewart just kept mentioning time. So. I'm wondering if they're going to do something cool to where they're going to show us scenes or perspectives or something that we have not seen before. Either I, I would much rather see them go back through Picard's history rather than, you know, jumping to a different time frame. But they just kept mentioning time. So I'm really puzzled and fascinated by that concept. You know, what really struck me, especially in the uh, Picard trailer, and I wish... In so, in so many ways, I kind of wish we did not get the official announcement from Tom Delancey. Like it, it. So you know, in the trailer, it zoomed, the last part of it, it kind of cuts to a scene of a Queen of Diamonds or a Queen of Hearts. Yeah, and it's on fire and it burns all the way to just the cue and goes off. Like, what if they had just lifted at that and not said another oh, thing? Oh boy, we wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> on the internet (laughs) (laughs) but also what stuck out to me was in that trailer you hear uh q q's voice and it's a it's a audio clip from i forget which episode it was in enterprise where q puts earth on trial and he says the trial never ends yeah and he made a point to say that again in the interview so I'm hoping, as you as you're hoping, 
It's kind of a look back on Picard's past, but in the context of this trial that just never really ended. So the trial continues. So now, you know, at first, the first trial, he kind of looked back at human past from that point and to determine whether or not humans were ready for space travel. And now I think we get to this point. He has to go back and look at what happened since the last trial up until now. Yes, yes. (laughs) That will be awesome. So I'm excited about it. I think that's the most exciting thing I've seen in First Contact Day. Yeah, and also the thing that's fascinating is one of the things that Q is so enamored about Picard is the humanity of it, humans. But as we know, spoiler alert, Picard isn't a human anymore. So how does that play into what we will see in the next season? Just really excited about where that goes, man. And yeah, they had me, um, they had me hyped from the jump when I saw it. <laughs> Big news. So, uh, getting into the Star Trek first contact 25th anniversary panel. I don't have really a lot to say about this. They kind of just, um, went through some of the various points of the first contact movie. Nothing really groundbreaking. Uh, you had Patrick Stewart, Jonathan Frakes, Brent Spiner, and Alex Krieg on talking about it. I did find it interesting a bit to hear about uh, Alex Krieg's position on, on the movie and hearing her perspective. I thought some of those things were interesting. But again, it wasn't just anything there that, that jumped out at me other than other than maybe all of them just fawning over Two Takes Frakes and his direction of the movie and how you know he kind of extended he kind of instilled alice with a lot of confidence as she went into the role so yeah not a whole lot to to garner out of that one but you know still interesting that that we can go back and talk about this movie which you know what was one of the great tng movies that we got from that era absolutely absolutely matter of fact i just told my wife because i was explaining first contact day to her and i said you know what you need to watch the movie. <laughs> so that's on the plan here in the next couple of days to watch First Contact with her. So, yeah, um, one of the disappointments of the panel is not seeing Alfie Woodard in there. Because me, in a lot of ways, she was kind of the soul of the film. She was the human <laughs> perspective or the the 19, you know, whatever perspective, even though it was 2063. She was more more closely related to to what, you know, our perspective of what the first contact would have mean and having these people from the future come back uh, to 2063. So let's move right along. Next, we had the Creating First Contacts panel, which was all about the costume designers and the visual effects artists and makeup artists, prosthetic artists, and what they've done on the various shows Discovery and Picard. Uh, did you get to see that panel? Was there anything interesting you could garner from that? I did not see that one either. So I did see that one. And the biggest thing that I can can pull from that, and this is old news, but they are going to be using the the Mandalorian visual effects wall. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah, that was made famous by them. And I think we might see parts of that in the trailer where it looks like they're in a totally different landscape. Uh, so, so what it allows for them to do is to have some like real time lighting and real time backgrounds and they shoot just as if they were actually there versus doing it all in post. So I, I really can't wait to see what they do with that in the upcoming season of Discovery, which we'll get into it later, but we did get a trailer for Discovery, which I very much enjoyed. 
Yeah, the uh, Discovery trailer was interesting. So, to jump into Discovery trailer, in that trailer, there's made mention. So, we the new, I guess you would call protagonist, is this massive amount of graviton energy. And it doesn't really explain why. They say it's like 5 or 10 or 15 light years across. I don't know what it is. Just so happened, the night before, I watched the episode of Voyager... And you may remember this, where they get sensors pick up this massive graviton surge coming from subspace. And it's this big, huge ball of energy meeting graviton rays. Come to find out, this, this whatever goes in and out of subspace very randomly, and it's attracted to large forms of energy like whatever's emitting a large amount of energy is attracted to well it pretty much consumes whatever that is well mm. inside of it uh they voyager crew found out the one of the first mars missions that earth sent out the command module that they sent to mars was absorbed by this thing and nobody ever knew what happened to it anyway just so happened i watched that episode and then the discovery trailer just said something about a large something emitting graviton and energy yeah that that was interesting definitely it seems like that's going to be our mystery box for the new season what jumped out at me and had me squeeing like a schoolgirl was seeing the the appropriately colored uniforms oh yes i was like those are so cool but they still look weird but they're so cool <laughs> <laughs> you know that thought it crossed my mind like when are we going to get to the like color-coded uniforms and i'm glad they did that yeah and i think for me i just don't like how they have they kind of hang over i like the uniforms to be more form-fitting that's the only real gripe i have with the uniforms i love the color scheme but i just don't like how they just hang the jackets just kind of hang yeah but i mean you're going into like i mean we've even made mention of tos of how the uniforms were drastically different you know you got kirk with the wraparound yeah yeah <laughs> the yeah. short dresses and the, you know it i think it's just a kind of a call out to the tos you know that uniforms were not a tightly monitored situation i don't think so hopefully they build to that but i liked them i really did like them yeah and i think the only other thing is that you know like you said we're dealing with these these graviton burst or whatever appearing out of nowhere and ravaging the federation space and um other than that i think we are going to see a lot of uh kind of what they started in the previous season of bringing everybody bringing the federation back together it seemed like some of those seems alluded alluded to that and yeah it seems like it's gonna be interesting to see where they go um i kind of like not knowing much but just give me enough to be like, mm, I'm ready for this right now. And it is yes. coming out in 2021, which made me smile even more. Did it? I missed that. Yeah, that was the last frame said 2021. So, yes. Oh, man, <laughs> that is going to be freaking awesome. And then we can get through with that going right into Picard. That'd be awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So let's talk a bit about the Women in Motion panel. And this is one that I did miss. So this panel was featuring Sonequa Martin-Green, uh, Michelle Hurd, uh, Isa Bionez, as well as Don Lewis, different world fame, <laughs> from Lower Decks. <laughs> um, you know, taking a look back at 
Nichelle Nichols and how she paved the way for women of color on television and overall her lasting impact on Trek science and culture. John, I know you saw this panel. So what did you come away with? I didn't I didn't actually see the panel, but I, I pulled the panel up to watch it. I actually did. And they were talking about. So the panel itself, Women in Motion, will be producing a documentary about Nichelle Nichols. And then that kind of made me pivot over to the actual trailer for this documentary, which releases June 5th uh, and it'll be streaming on Paramount Plus, of course. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't actually get to watch the panel, but the panel was pretty much all about that. Uh, but also as she affected the other women of color in Trek. Uh, so I didn't get to see the panel, actually. But that documentary is going to be awesome. And I hadn't done much research on it, but the trailer is kind of they said they're going to explore uh, Nichelle Nichols role at NASA. So when she was featured on Trek. NASA actually reached out to her and brought her in to do what? I don't know, but uh, there's a bunch of people they'll be interviewing on this documentary. And one of the guys is just saying, you know, without Nichelle Nichols, we wouldn't have had women in color in NASA at that time. Like she broke the door down for women in NASA and especially women in color. Yeah, that's that's certainly interesting. A lot of things that I just never knew about. I never knew that she had these, you know, was making these inroads for women and women of color in in general. And, you know, how she kind of paved the way in the STEM areas and that, you know, being a part of NASA itself. um, It really, really surprised me. And I can't wait to hear more of this. It actually shows a uh, screen or screenshot. It shows a clip of her. At NASA in a NASA uniform. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I tell you something that was just kind of made me like punch the air. So they were interviewing her in another clip for this documentary. They're interviewing her and she said, I'd always said if I ever got my foot in the door, I would bust the door open so (laughs) wide that you could see the world on the other side. Oh, man. Oh, man. (laughs) <laughs> so I can't wait to see that. That's amazing. Now, I will say that there, and I don't know if it ever came out. I'm uh, doing some research on it right now as we talk. But there was supposed to be a Nichelle Nichols documentary come out via Kickstarter. And the Kickstarter was a couple of years ago. I'm not sure if it got fully backed. But um, there was supposed to be a documentary through that that uh, tells her life story. And it may be that. Yeah, I'm wondering if they picked that up or they just decided to do one on their own. But in any case, I think that's awesome that they're doing it. And yeah, I can't wait to see how that turns out because I'd really, really love to know a bit more of of her history. It will be awesome. I mean, you you just think of the women in color that we have in Star Trek were like some of the I'm not going to say influential, but they they some of the most impactful performances you know, you get like Whoopi Goldberg and Sonequa Martin-Green and uh, I forget the lady that plays Rafi. Yeah, Michelle. You know, these people, yeah, you know, these people had a big impact on the show. Yeah. And to think that that wouldn't have been possible without Michelle Nichols' part in TOS. Yeah. It, it, and I know you heard the story, but it's fascinating of how 
Uh, she wanted to quit, and, and Martin Luther King told her to to keep doing it. <laughs> you yes, know? I don't know if you heard that before, but yeah, that I have. It's it's is very very impactful, and of, of of course, yeah. So the last two panels, I don't know if you have much to say about the second contact panel featuring Mike Mahan along with Paul F. Tompkins, Brent Spiner was on it, and Jonathan Frakes. I kind of just didn't care about this one to be honest <laughs> so what i got from that was more of the uh so they cut a part of that out whereas the comedy and trick uh-huh. and they were those those guys jonathan franks and mike mahan they were all just talking about the comedic moments throughout trick and that was pretty good um of course uh so what what i got from one thing i got uh so i'm rambling here Mike Mahan was discussing why he made lower decks the way he did. And the kind of the basis of this whole section was, you know, Will Wheaton was saying there was so much beeline comedy in TNG. So, you know, you had the the main arc that was serious, but the show always started with like a beeline comedy comedic moment like and, and it was just like the everyday life of one of the characters on the show so mike mahan said he really really loved those parts so he wanted to make lower decks all about that and the overarching important part secondary which eh, i mean i get it i don't enjoy it but i get it and i see why he did it i don't know if that many people actually cared that much about those storylines though yeah i get it and i think it could be a great thing but what's disappointing about what he's done with that formula is that the story or a lot of the aspects of the stories he's told i don't feel like is true to the nature of trek you know they may have had b hilarious b plot or b stories in the episodes but they weren't just outlandishly over the top they were funny, but they weren't just like ridiculous. And I feel like 90% right. of what he does is just ridiculous. So I I kind of got an explanation on why that was. They So the question came up asking Mike Mahan, like, what do you allow a lot of improv from your voice actors? Because uh, Will Wheaton was kind of remembering back to TNG. He said, you know, we weren't really allowed to improv at all. He said, like, if you even used all the synonym of a word in the script that wasn't in the script. Like they cut and you had to correct it. So he's asking Mike, man, like what, what, how much leeway are you giving your voice actors? And he basically said, we pretty much work around them. Mm. So if they improv something, we kind of develop the show around that, <sighs> which I think is kind of causing the whole way too much issue. Yeah, they need to. Because then you kind of go into the like Saturday Night Live type deal. Yeah, I don't want a Saturday Night Live trick. (laughs) (laughs) That definitely makes a lot of sense because you could tell it has some direction, but it just he allows it to go off the rails. Which to me, once you do that, it kind of takes it too far. Yeah, (sighs) to say it lightly. (laughs) Yeah. No, and I mean that. Hearing that and understanding that kind of would make me approach it differently now. So, but I tell you one kind of depressing thing. He said, "What's that?" The first season, 
he said the first season. So he said the first season he was tr- kind of trying to find a balance, you know, because he said he knew he knew he wanted to make something that Trek fans would appreciate. So he had he didn't want to be too outlandish and too crazy with it. Like he wanted to tie it to Trek a little bit, make it seem like a Trek. Right. Which, that which was I the will first say, season. Yeah. Which I will say before you continue, I, I will say it seemed like it got he got that formula better by the end of the season to me. Or maybe it just grew on me so much I didn't care anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, he he says the reactions he's got were kind of aligned with how you felt, which leads me to season two is he's going to kind of go more along his lines and less along trying to keep that balance. So Mm. what does that mean? I don't know. But (laughs) I know there was... It was playing a little too loose for me in the first season. So, <sighs> yeah. And they just announced that they'll, they've actually been signed for season three as well. Oh my God. This is a trick nobody <laughs> wanted, man. I, I hate to be, I know some people love it. I know some people love it, but it's not, it's, and I don't want to be the toxic fan here, but it's just not, it's not what I come to Trek for. And I'm and I'm fine with just skipping over it and not watching it and or either watching it and not caring all that much. I'm fine with that. But I just hate that they say something this ridiculous as canon. Um they should just come off the top and say, Oh, this is just something a side story. It's not really canon, but you know, it, it's gonna tie in. If they would have said that that if they would have said those few words, it would have sit better with me. But yeah. by the fact that they're saying die hard, oh, this is canon. This is all canon. like, really? Is it really no. canon? <laughs> no, but it, 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 I mean, like I said, we'll we'll see what season two holds. I will watch it. I don't think I'll like just not watch it. Yeah. But like you said, now, whether I care or not, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I, I mean, I did appreciate a few moments in it. Uh, and one of them, I think the moments we all appreciated most were the uh, Riker moments in Lower Decks, which they mentioned in this panel. And, you know, they were just. You know, he was asking Riker, you know, man, that, it was just hilarious. Like, you, you were so good. And he gave, he said, Mike Mahan created that entire, like, Riker had nothing to do with that. Interesting. Riker said he had no idea he could even be that character. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, because he, he did say, it's not what I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> Neither were we. <laughs> But, you know, it, it definitely has some good moments. I don't want to totally rag on Lord Dex. It definitely had a few good moments. And, you know, uh, Crisis Point was my favorite episode, which is really good. So, you know, it had, it had its bright points, definitely. I, uh, which we don't have a lot of time here, and maybe we'll do this on another recording, which this particular panel uh, kind of got me to thinking about all of the comedy and trick. And I would like to... Maybe on one session we go through and just find out, like, who was the funniest characters? So they kind of had that debate and it was a close running between Data and Odo. I would throw uh, the doctor in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. The doctor would definitely have. It's a lot, though. And that was another thing, like. For it not to be a comedy at all, there was a lot of comedy in Trick. Yeah. And it was, un- I mean, it wasn't direct comedy. Like, it was, it was comedic it moments. It was really, more. yeah. And, you know, they cut to a scene, uh, one of the early TNG scenes, where Data says <laughs> he was reciting this thing he learned, he found in the database or something. And 
He said there was once this woman from Venus and her body was shaped like a Picard yeah. turned around sister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Well, you know, even going back to TOS as we're doing this best of TOS, we've we've had plenty of funny moments where, you know, uh Spock as well as Bones. So, you know, <laughs> Comedic moments are fine, but you know, I I just also think Lower Decks just goes a little bit, a little bit too far. Um, yeah, and I I think it did what Mike Mahan set out to do. He wanted to, he really loved that part of the comedy and trick, and he just kind of wanted to extract that and make it the thing, and that's what he did. But yeah, if that was a goal. I mean, huh? Yeah, that was a goal. So there you go, you have it. Well, let's finish things off by talking about the Star Trek Prodigy panel, executive producers Kevin and Dan Hagman, which I want to say they did, um, was it Ben 10? They did some Nickelodeon series. And of course, they were joined by Catherine, Catherine Janeway herself, Kate McGrew, uh. and talking about the new Prodigy series. So we got some... We got a picture and we got like the nature of our character. John, um, let's talk about that for a minute. How did you feel about what we learned uh, Captain Janeway is going to be in this series? And any predictions on what ship this could be? Federation ship that's in a Delta Quadrant uh, as well. So I'll let you unpack it. What do you think, man? Uh, well, I didn't. Again, this is one of those I didn't really watch fully oh. through. But I, you know, there's a lot of there's been a lot of talk on the interwebs about uh, the Prometheus ship. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. That's uh, what I'm thinking. Though she was never on Prometheus, run. though. She was not. She was not. But I mean, the doctor they did transfer the doctor over there, and he brought back all that information. Uh, and we know that it's a long range tactical vessel, so. It could get to the Delta Quadrant. You know what I mean? I, yeah. That would be awesome if, if that's the case. Now. I mean, what are you thinking? Yeah. So let me frame it for the people who are listening who didn't watch the panel. So um, Kate McGrew is going to be basically a holographic character on some Federation ship that is still in the Delta Quadrant. She's going to kind of be the um, instructor trainer for this group of young kids who have somehow happened upon this federation ship um as far as what ship it may be in the delta quadrant i'm kind of leaning to your opinion um that it could be the prometheus but i wonder we did have the what's the ship with the other other captain did it get destroyed yes it did uh you're talking about the one that had the uh, subspace aliens attacking he, them and all that. Yeah, yeah, that was destroyed. Or because he he transported all his crew off and destroyed his ship. The the only other thing I think it could be if if um maybe once Janeway got back and became Admiral, she did a bunch of training programs and somehow they should send a ship back to the Delta Quadrant to get you know information or. Um, statistics or mapping or whatever. Uh, that's the only other way I think they could put it in there, right? That's what, that's what I'm thinking. Like, and again, that's why I was leaning toward Prometheus because this was, this was the latest starship design we have. I mean, sit, I mean, outside of what we've seen in this previous season of Discovery, 
uh, I mean, Prometheus is the most advanced starship that Starfleet has made. And it was still a prototype. So they're still adding to it. Now you take that. Janeway already knows about it coming from the Delta Quadrant because she sent the doctor there. She gets back with this huge amount of data on the Delta Quadrant. And we are explorers. So why wouldn't we want to explore that quadrant? And what better way to do it than on the newest ship we have that they're most likely, because it's still a prototype, yeah, will take all the information Janeway has gathered on different different forms of propulsion and I mean maybe give it a slipstream drive. I mean they experimented with that and yeah. it kinda worked and kinda didn't. I mean you had that slingshot thing that the alien created from the Tetrion reactor and I mean that that's just kind of how I see it going. And you know, because it's a new quadrant that no one has ever been in other than the Voyager crew, what better thing to put on board and a hologram of the captain that courageously guided her crew through it so yeah that's where i'm going that makes me like why not even have a fully holographic crew and that may be so we also know prometheus has hollow emitters throughout the ship yeah in the jeffrey's tubes on the bridge everywhere on the ship there's hollow emitters for their uh emh hmm interesting yeah i'm excited about that i think the design of um of, of captain janeway Looks freaking amazing. It made her look so, so freaking cool. Did you hear her say she didn't like that design, right? No, she said she liked it. <laughs> well, now she does. Oh, uh, okay. So the initial design she did not really like. There there was like three or four months she says she spent going back and forth with the designers on what this looked like. And you know what her initial complaint was? The bun. No, <laughs> the character looked too pretty. Interesting. She felt like it was just over exaggerating and it was just too. She was not that beautiful, which I think Kate Mulgrew was very beautiful, especially when when the Voyager days. But I mean, that was her complaint. So after about three or four months of debate with the design crew, they finally agreed to change the shape of the chin. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Good for you, Kate Mulgrew. Good for you. <laughs> but I mean, but you do see that all the time. Artists tend to draw female characters overly sexualized, and right. um, good for her for sticking sticking to her guns and making them produce something that's more in line with her vision of what this animated Catherine Janeway slash Kate Mulgrew will look like. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, man. Well, uh, I guess we'll wrap this up. If if you don't have any, you know, anything further well, to say. One more thing, and then I'm done. And I'm sure, promise you, I'm done. Uh, did you see the uh, announcement about the Comic Cons going forward? No. Oh, so yes. Star Trek has yes. partnered with Read Pop, who pretty much does a lot of pop culture marketing and all that. So they will be handling all of the Comic Cons and major marketing for Star Trek going forward. Um, and the first thing will be Mission Chicago, April eighth through the tenth. We going absolutely. We, we got to be there. So, so it's interesting. Um, they they've totally abandoned the. I can and I can see why the whole let's do it in Vegas every year thing has gotten kind of stale. And the the I think for the last few years they've been partnering with um, Creation Entertainment or Creative Entertainment. Yeah. 
But now they're still doing that convention, but it doesn't have the official Star Trek convention moniker on it. Right. And, and I love the fact that it looks like we're going to be moving around now, just like the um, the Star Trek convention. I mean, the Star Wars conventions have been doing over the past few years. So with the Star Trek. Wow. Excuse me. So with the Star Wars conventions, they do them like every other year and they're always in a different city. And that'll be awesome. I'm down with this. I want to. I'm going to Shaw City. We going. We going in 2022. Let's do it. April the 8th through the 10th. I also want to do the Star Trek cruise. We talk about it every time, and we never do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But this is kind of amazing. A three day event, immersive experience, take place in Chicago's McCormick Place Convention Center. Mark it on your calendar, people. Discussing trick will be there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This is amazing. Cool. Well, you know, John, thanks for joining along to talk about Star Trek Day. Oh, excuse me, first contact day. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for allowing me on and talking with me, man. It was good stuff. Good stuff. I enjoyed it. Yeah. So other than this first contact day event, what else have you been into watching, listening to, podcast related or otherwise? Just want to plug before we get out of here, man. Uh, nothing much, man. Just going back through Voyager now. So that's, that's what I do. I just watch Trek. I watch Trek and I work. Um, and as always, I always talk about, uh, Joe Rogan podcast. So definitely check him out. If you got an extra two and a half to three hours to listen to an episode, but it's pretty good stuff. And I'm also listening to Lex Friedman podcast, which I found out through Joe Rogan. He's a AI scientist. Really, really interesting guy to listen to. So those are things I would plug tonight. So if you want to send in feedback about what we talked about, you can send that into fans at discussingtrek.com or hit us up at discussingtrek on any and all social medias. And until next time, guys, live longer, prosper. Listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. Adventure. Your traveling companions are fellow fans of Doctor Who. That's right, it's the podcast Discussing Who, exploring the worlds of Doctor Who, past, present, and future. Find out more at discussingwho.com. Discussing Network.